Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. studio has gone offline it has crashed maybe because of the lack of moves and the frustration surrounding the pirates management not making that many moves uh, for the past couple of weeks here but in all seriousness what this means is that you're gonna get a episode filled with just craig as Chris works diligently to get everything back online. If I sound a little bit different, uh, it's because I'm recording on my remote studio equipment, which consists of a fairly cheap, maybe a hundred to $150 computer and my 1999 Walmart mic. If I sound the same, that just basically means that us podcasters are spending a little bit too much money on our equipment. And with the upgrades in technology and the increased technology, that just leaves the door open for more stuff to go wrong. Uh, Anybody that does podcasting, any other podcasters that are listening to this out here know what I'm talking about with all the, the glitches and just little problems that we experience upgrading equipment, adding stuff to it. It it definitely becomes a little bit of an issue, but just tell me if this sounds, you know, the same, if it does, you know what, like I said, maybe we're spending a little bit too much money. What this also means other than just getting me for this episode um, is that, you know, Chris and I had to scrap kind of what we had planned as a little bit of a back and forth for this episode. So I kind of threw some stuff together this morning based on, you know, what's been going on around pirate social media with the optimist point of view versus the pessimist point of view, the the polar opposites, the polarity um, that often exists on social media. And I broke it down into two parts. And those two parts, it's easy to break down. It's how a lot of episodes are broken down is focusing on, you know, the pitching side of things, uh, the rotation, as well as the bullpen with specific players. And then also moving to uh, the position player side of things, maybe something that they're doing uh, defensively or a combination of that uh, with the hitting 
because, I mean, obviously at this point in time during the offseason, we really don't know what the team is going to look like um, until they actually step on the field. A lot of times teams can look really good on paper, uh, adding a bunch of players. We saw it with the San Diego Padres last year, not only spending a, a, you know, a ton of money, but also adding you know all-star level caliber players, having a Cy Young pitcher. For better or worse, if you don't like that he pitches, you know, only about five innings and goes through, you know, the order about twice. I mean, some guys can't even do that. So, I mean, that's maybe just a luxury for some teams. But and we've also seen teams, you know, on paper that don't look so well, that kind of like outperform, you know, and and end up, you know, going further into the playoffs like the Arizona Diamondbacks. Obviously, you know, the Miami Marlins ahead of schedule last year, but I figure we might as well just get this started um, because we saw Marco Gonzalez uh, pitching out at driveline, you know, doing a bunch of different things. There's also a catcher out there who was using his, you know, bullpen time or his workout time with Marco Gonzalez as, you know, his framing and, and pop time and different stuff like that. But, you know, Marco Gonzalez is throwing a baseball. So I wanted to break this down into like the positive side of things and then the negative side of things, like the way that this can be looked at. Uh, because like I said, during this, during an off season, I mean, you're pretty much, it's all you can really do. Because until somebody steps into the batter's box, you don't know if the tweaks they made on their swings or, you know, the good second half of the season that they had is is going to, you know, propel them. Or if, you know, somebody ended on a slump, they could come out and, and start things off hot because of something they did. But on the positive side of things for Marco Gonzalez, people are looking at it, you know, can he return to form? Uh, can he be the type of pitcher he was? And especially in, in 2021, you know, looking at his stats, he had a 396 ERA, a 1.17 whip. Moving on to 2022, a 4.13 ERA and a 1.33 whip. I mean, in comparison, the, the Pirates ace last year, Mitch Keller, a 4.21 ERA, a 1.25 whip. I mean, he would end up being you know, one of the probably two best, like one of the two best pitchers on, you know, the staff in the rotation for the Pirates. If you, you know, supplanted those uh, into the 2024, obviously that leads, you know, right into the negative aspect of this. It's the nerve injury, uh, not getting any younger. Will, will there be any regression? And I feel like Pirates fans have a little bit of a, a PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, from the Harleen Garcia injury, um, seen as a, a pretty good signing for the Pirates last offseason to put in the bullpen, uh, a nice lefty but then was a guy that got injured and then couldn't even hold a baseball for the rest of the season. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, Marco Gonzalez, you don't know what you're going to see, but I mean, there are some positive things to look at. Uh, he's not a guy that throws 
super hard. So you're not looking, you know, for him to regain that velocity. The velocity really wasn't a part of his game to begin with. But that nerve injury is something to be really scared of. Uh, moving on to, to the next pitcher and moving to the bullpen, I'm uh, going to go with David Bednar. And, and everybody knows that I am nice to David Bednar at times, love David Bednar, but also become you know frustrated with him at times. Um, on the positive aspect for David Bednar, I mean, the one thing to look at is that you know, last year he topped out career high in both B War, uh, Baseball Reference War, and also F War, Fangraphs War, 2.5 B War, 2.3 F War. Just signed, you know, for it, avoiding arbitration uh, to $4.51 million. First year of arbitration, you have him under you know, team control at least for the next two years. I know there has been some talk out there about the team, you know, possibly looking into an extension. Nothing really has gotten moving in that direction just yet. At least nothing that I've, you know, heard of that is legitimate. It's just a, you know, a bunch of people thinking, you know, you know, should they do this? Will they do this? I mean, obviously, the the Pittsburgh native part of it kind of plays into that. But, I mean, on the negative side, it's always like, what David Bednar are we going to get? When David Bednar is good, I mean, he is really good. When David Bednar is struggling, when he maybe starts to wear down, uh, maybe there is some overusage in there. I mean, because we look at it, I mean, in, in April and May, you know, last year, he was used kind of like how a, you know, normal closer would be used. He was used, you know, a couple times a week in those close games when they had to use him. Then you look at the slump that the team hit in June and was just basically being used, I mean, out of necessity because, I mean, you can't just have him sit there for too long, wasn't getting very many save opportunities. And then, you know, kind of like in... It would have been like in July, I believe it was. I mean, it was just pretty much like there was a save opportunity. It seemed like every other day, um, sometimes a couple days in a row, you know, maybe saw a little bit of, of overusage there. So, I mean, some of these numbers, I mean, you can maybe take with a grain of salt, but they kind of like of what they've been, you know, throughout his entire career. I looked at his career splits and looking at would you get, you know, April, May, and August, David Bednar. In April, Chris and I always look at the whip uh, for, you know, if you're going to be like an elite closer or an elite reliever, you're looking at those guys that go below the 1.00 whip, especially down towards like the 1.900. In April and May for his career, April, it is a 8 a 0.835 whip, May, a 0.837 whip, and then in August, the dog days of summer, a 1.138 whip. I mean, that's kind of getting into just like a good, but those are still good numbers. That's like a good reliever. But then when you look at June, July, September, October, in June, a 1.385 whip, July, 
a 1.274 whip and then September, October, because you know that you go into a couple days in October now, a 1.217. The 1.217 you can kind of deal with if you're not looking for, you know, elite levels of performance. But I mean, it's not really going to, you know, maybe justify that extension. And as, as the arbitration goes up, I mean, you look at it, you know, already up over 4.5. I mean, next year you could be looking towards, you know, seven, eight million. The year after that, around like you know, nine, 10, 11 million. Is, is he really going to be, you know, that effective? You know, because we talk about, you know, the finickiness of, of relief pitchers is that, you know, the, the guys that make the Hall of Fame are good for extended periods of time, but for the most part, relievers, it's like two, three, four good years at most, and then you kind of see a drop-off. Seeing as we're in the bullpen, kind of want to stick with that uh, for these next two here. Uh, last year, uh, Carmen Majinski came up, and I think he performed fairly well. I hate to, I don't want to start out with the negative here, but I think that because so many of the Pirates rookies came up and struggled that maybe his performance looked a little bit better um, than it actually was. But kind of with the positives here, the big positive is, you know, the 2.25 ERA. And like I just mentioned, you know, I looked more towards whip, but a lot of baseball fans, I mean, especially if you look on the broadcast now, they don't use a ton of the advanced stuff. They really stick with, you know, I mean, K's per nine is getting a little bit more advanced, but they'll be like, okay, this is this guy's ERA. This is how many innings he's pitched. And then you go a little bit of the K's per nine and the walks. But, you know, if you want to go to the negatives, you can go straight towards the walks there. He was walking 4.5 batters per nine innings. Obviously not great. A 1.278 whip. Uh, once again, I mean, you look at somebody who you want to be a starting pitcher. And if the whip's around, you know, a 1.300, you're looking at a guy who's like more of a middle of the rotation arm. If you're looking for a guy that's in the bullpen, once they start going towards that 1.3, I mean, you're looking for a guy that, you know, you may not even want to be in your bullpen. And then, you know, an advanced metric kind of thing here, the 4.03 FIP, which would kind of show may have been a little bit lucky um, with that ERA, maybe you know had some good defense behind him so you know for Carmen Majinski obviously a rookie did see a lot of good things from him but I mean that's another one where there's really just kind of that question mark where people are saying you know and this has been said for like the past like two or three off seasons it's like man this this bullpen is really shaping up and man this bullpen is really coming together and you know in the beginning of the season when usually the pitchers are ahead of the the batters then it's like okay they're really putting things together but then you know when stuff starts to fall apart then it's like you know is this really you know, a well put together bullpen going to have to see how that plays out. And the same goes for Ryan Barucki. 
And man, I kind of like Ryan Barucki. He's the guy that when all the guys got tossed from the game because supposedly Haynes or Donnie Kelly or somebody said something and then Derek Shelton came out and argued, you know, Ryan Barucki's at the top of the stands. And I've already said this should be made into a T-shirt. And he puts his hand up and he's like, I said it. I'm the one that said something. I mean, the guy's got a decent amount of attitude. Uh, avoided arbitration with him very early, even before, you know, <laughs> when you had to tender the contracts, $1.6 million this season. Uh, the positives for him uh, last year in 2023, you had the 245 ERA. 81% of the people who were on base, when he came into a game, he left on base a 0.74 whip. I mean, that's elite, elite level whip, uh, a 350 FIP. So, I mean, not, you know, so far apart, but maybe just a little bit. But then you look at, you know, Ryan Barucki's history and the two best seasons that he had before arriving in Pittsburgh were 2020 in Toronto and also 2021 in Toronto. In 2020 in, her, in Toronto, he had a 270 ERA, 84% of the base runners left on base, but a 1.44 whip and a 361 FIP. I don't like that whip. FIP is kind of where it was at before, so that's maybe along the same lines, but I mean, maybe he did get a little bit lucky there of not letting so many guys score because that whip was getting very high. Um, the next year uh, in Toronto, a 494 ERA, only 69.6 left on base. A little bit better of a whip, a 1.23, but that's really, you know, borderline, like I said, for a guy that you may not even want in your bullpen and a 5.66 FIP, which basically means he did not pitch very well, may have found something in Pittsburgh. Going to have to see what that plays out to be. Will definitely be, you know, used. They showed they trusted him last year, um, was able to perform very well, so maybe he unlocked something. I mean, we're just going to have to wait and see. And speaking of waiting and seeing what will happen, uh, another guy, Paul Skeens, on the positive side, number one overall pick, number one pitching prospect, best pitching prospect since Strasburg. We saw how well he performed um, at LSU, came with a lot of hype. I, I know that you know we didn't get to see much of him in the pirate system but there's just so much positive stuff and the pedigree you know kind of behind him but then there's the unknown there's the you know with any with any pitching prospect you know that the tin snap there's no such thing as a pitching prospect the injury concerns that come with pitchers the injury concerns that come with pitchers in the pirate system and then also, I mean, I'm just going to mention this. A lot of people talk about the shape of his fastball. I mean, I've looked at a bunch of different things. Um, and it's really inconclusive because a lot of people are saying, you know, if he can, you know, if he has that control, if he has the command on the fastball, the shape won't matter as much as long as the velocity stays the same. And then there's other people that says, you know, 
It doesn't matter if it's flat, it's going to get hit all over the place. So that might be just kind of that unknown and a little bit, you know, of a negative going into that. And I usually do things in fives, but I did have a six one for the pitching and I kind of call it like that little bonus here. And for the bonus is, you know, the unknown, once again, kind of maybe use overusing that word, but what is going to happen with Quinn Priester, Rowanzi Contreras, and Luis Ortiz? And I, I keep them kind of bunched up into the same group because of, you know, the experience in the majors, but also kind of like the youth movement. I mean, if you look at it, their ages, Priester, 23, Contreras, 24, Ortiz, 25. But then you see the negative in the velo down across the board. And I mean, especially like, I mean, I think when I talked about the PTSD with the Harleen Garcia, I mean, with Rowanzi in 2022, you know, we saw him come up a 315 ERA, a 341 whip. I mean, FIP, a 1.27 whip. I mean, we there was so much hope for him going into 2023. Saw him as a compliment to Mitch Keller in the rotation that things were you know, finally coming together. And what happens? A 6.59 ERA, a 5.19 FIP, a 1.57 whip down to the, you know, the minors down the whole way, pretty much kind of shut down, down to Bradenton to rework everything back up to Indy and in the, into the bullpen and that's where, like, I mean, there's just so much of an unknown. There's so much that we can't even, like, really know what's going to happen uh, with this this pitching staff, with the rotation. And the other negative that I'll just kind of throw in there is, please, please, Ben, please add somebody. <laughs> If you ever see me out and about in Pittsburgh, you will always recognize me. And not just because of the white beard, but also because of the Y that is always on top of my head. The hat I always wear. The Yin's brand. Proud partners with Bucks in the Basement. Three dynasties. One brand, Yin's. Finally, one brand to rep all black and gold. Follow at Shop Yin's for new merch drops and giveaways. Order online at www.shopyins, the emphasis on the two Z's, high quality comfort, lightweight materials, a new modern look for the black and gold, made for Yins by a Yinzer. The problem when I do these episodes by myself, and I notice this when I do the minor league news and brews by myself as well, is I get extremely long-winded in what I have kind of outlined as the first segment. So not going to try to like speed through this, but you know, we're 30 minutes of bucks here. So I don't want to go too much over that. Usually as long as it's under like 35 minutes, we'll be okay. 
kind of see what happens at that. But we're going to move along to the hitters, the polarizing hitters themselves. Uh, first in line, Cabrian Hayes. And for anybody that's listened to this show, you know, from its inception, you know, back in 2019, it's not that I haven't been a Cabrian Hayes believer as far as how he's going to perform with the bat. I've just always been, I don't know, erring a little bit more on the cautious side just because of what I've seen, you know, from him throughout the minors. Of course, he comes out in 2020 and just, I mean, absolutely destroys the baseball, hitting to all fields and looks like a perennial all-star, you know, possible MVP candidate. Suffered some injuries over the next, you know, and dealt with some injuries over the next couple years. But, I mean, a lot of people say Cabrian Hayes, and this is a positive here. Number one, he won a gold glove. Number two, a lot of people say, you know, he only had a good last month or so of the season. Um, I think they kind of forget what he did in June before he was injured and, and was out in July. Because from June on till the end of the season, across 305 plate appearances, he slashed 307, 334, 528 with 13 home runs. Good for a 127 WRC+. The one thing from this time that I had to put in the negative category was his 4.3% walk rate, which is not great, you know, for a guy that you want to see performing, you know, to a, a higher caliber level, especially when you saw, you know, that K rate creep above, you know, 20% at 21.6%. Also looking to see what he did in April and May. He had a little bit better of a K rate, only 17.3%. Walk rate a little bit higher at 6.8%. But, I mean, he had like 220 plate appearances. And he slashed 221, 273, 348 with only two home runs. Good for a 65 WRC+. I still think that his his you know I guess it would be finding that water level is 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 somewhere in the middle. Um, I don't think he's as bad of a hitter obviously as he was during the first couple months of the season. I'm not sure if he can maintain you know what he did over the last few months of the season. But I mean, all in all, Cabrian Hayes is it's just a good ball player. So I mean, hopefully you know. It doesn't bottom out the way that it did last year and maybe finds some middle ground. Speaking of bottoming out, uh, the ups and downs, the ebbs and flow of a season, Jack Sawinski. Jack Sawinski um, is probably one of the more streaky hitters um, that I've ever witnessed while, while watching baseball. And I just basically went through his um, what his OPS was month by month. For the season, in April, a 1.011. In May, a 0.730. June, 7.72. July, 
up to 903 jack maybe you're turning things around nope august 529 and then september and october you know 848 for the season a 32.2% k rate but on the positive side of things for jack the one thing i will say is that that walk rate showing more patience to the plate 14% if your k rate is going to be up above 30 your walk rate has to be up above 10% jack did that very well good for 2.8 f war a 115 ops on the season and to tell you the truth, he only had two months where his WRC plus was below 100. That would be May when he had the 730 OPS. He was at 98. And then obviously in August when he had the 529 OPS, he was down at 55. In the other months, March and April, it was 163 WRC plus. June, 110. July, 136. September and October was 150. 33 but then maybe also in the negative thing is looking at his splits and as we know here guys if anybody's watched jack play jack does not hit great against lefties i think it improved throughout the season but on the season he had a 608 ops 41.7% K rate and a 68 WRC plus against lefties. On the flip side, against righties, he had an 856 OPS, only a 29% K rate, which, you know, down below that 30. So, I mean, it's good. The 127 WRC plus, I don't want to see him as a strict platoon bat. I'm hoping as he gets older and as he matures, there's something that can come out of this, maybe seeing more lefties, maybe avoiding the tough lefty. I don't know. We're going to have to see. But, I mean, Jack is still young, only played his first full season. And, yeah, once again, I've said probably a million times this episode, going to see have, gonna have to see how it plays out. And this guy right here, the next one, Henry Davis, in the negative, I went with negative first on this one just because c catching ability, development. Um, in the minor league news and brews segments, go back and listen to it. Had a decent amount of scouts on people who actually saw him play in person talking about his catching development, saying that, you know, he was he was behind in the catching development some of that due to injury some of that not you know due to that not really being the focus when he was you know a catcher at at Louisville i mean they were more focused on the bat the pirates you know even they they were more focused on the bat they drafted him for his bat but negatively the bat didn't come to play 255 plate appearances in the majors Slash 213, 302, 351, a 653 OPS. Did have seven home runs. But, I mean, man, he was on fire in AA and AAA last year. 250 plate appearances. So kind of breaking it down half and half for the year. Slash 306, 454, 561. That's a 1.015 OPS with 10 homers. I think the bat will come around. You have to hope that the bat will come around. 
And for these next three guys, which kind of lumps into four and five here, because I usually break things down into, into you know, lists of five, is Leover Pagaro, Nick Gonzalez, Jared Triolo. For Leover Pagaro and Nick Gonzalez, on the positive side, you have the potential, the youth, the pedigree, the defense that we saw. Definitely thought they played a lot better on defense than what I had seen in the minors. Uh, with Leo Pagaro, a positive seven home runs and 213 plate appearances, you extrapolate that out over a full season of at-bats, I mean, you're looking at at least 14 to 18 home runs on the season, but then also, like, for both of them, Leo Pagaro, his K rate, 31.5%. Nick Gonzalez, 28.1%. And then the walk rates. Leover Pagaro, 5.2%. Nick Gonzalez, 4.7%. And right now, it looks like these guys are going to be the ones to battle it out at second base. I've said before in previous episodes, I honestly still wouldn't mind them going out and getting a veteran second baseman, not Adam Frazier, but a veteran second baseman to actually you know, let them, you know, develop instead of like, you know, putting their feet to the fire. I know you have to find out what you have, but I, from the beginning of the season, I'm really not so sure. Um, Jared Triolo, I put in there, obviously go with a negative on this one first. Everybody talking about the baby, the, the batting average on balls in play, 441, obviously, you know, by history, by any advanced metrics, unsustainable. But, I mean, I also looked at his baby, you know, in the minor leagues. 2021, it was 358, which would be above average because the average usually comes in around, like, you know, around 300. In 2022, it was more towards the average at 333, but still an above average, you know, baby. And then in 2023, uh, a 4.11 in AAA. So, I mean, I don't know. And then, like, you go to the positive side. You know, 2.1 B war last year, 1.7 F war. And then I also looked in the minor leagues at, at the weighted runs created plus, where it's like, okay, his BABIP's high, but he's always been a consistent hitter. I mean, look at the WRC plus in 2021. It's 128. 2022, it's 121. 2023, it's 120. He's always been a consistent hitter. I think he will hit in the majors. I'm, I know that some of that is going to come down a little bit. I know that that will bring the average down a little bit. They did make some adjustments to add a little bit more power. So maybe, you know, he'll still have a good eye at the plate. He'll still have good contact, but maybe add some power uh, to get that slugging up. So the OPS kind of stays reasonable, but I mean, the guy on the biggest positive you know, could be a starting third baseman on this team if we didn't have a guy named Cabrian Hayes and could pretty much play everywhere all over the field, uh, plays, you know, second base, probably is next in line, then go over to first base shortstop, and he can play some outfield. And that's something we haven't even really seen yet. I don't know if I want them to do that, would like them to just kind of like focus on maybe the infield utility. But, I mean, honestly, we're going to have to see how that bat develops in the beginning. 
And then finally, trying to wrap things up here, like I said, once again, getting a little bit long-winded for our bonus, um, Brian Reynolds. In the minus category here, and if this is a minus, it's not a very big minus, Brian Reynolds is a good to great baseball player. I don't know if he's at the elite level. I mean, in 2021, we did see that. In his 26-year-old season, the 9-12 OPS, the 5.9 war, the 6 F war. But then in 2027, I mean, and in his 2022, in his 27-year-old season, we saw an 807 OPS drop down to a 2.9 war, a 2.8 F war. In 2023, 28-year-old season, just this last year, a 790 OPS. 2.4 war, 2.3 F war. What is his 29-year-old season going to bring? And then the other part I saw as a negative is the walk rate for him going down year by year. Going again, 2021, 11.6. 2022, 9.1. 2023, 8.3. He's adding some more power which is going to go on the positive side because I have that as a positive. Is the sneaky good power? But is he sacrificing some of that approach at the plate for the power? But I'm going to go I go with the positive there. In 2021, his, his ISO, it's just basically like the isolated power that he has. It was a 220 with 24 home runs. 2022, that's a 199 ISO with 27 home runs. 2023, a 197 ISO with 24 home runs. And the biggest positive is he is locked up. He will be here. I think he'll be a consistent player. I don't know if he'll ever rebound back up to that 5, you know, 0.96 war. But he's going to be a consistent player. He's going to be here. And hopefully Chris will be back here next week so we can have our little back and forth that we wanted to have this last time uh, today to kind of talk about that. Hopefully we got everything situated. Once again, let me know how the mic sounds. Maybe we're spending too much money. Maybe not. We'll see. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing but the